somebody had a uh, birthday shower and they asked for me and my wife and kids to go. And it was it was at the baby shower where, you know, it was some stuff going on that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily partake in. Um, but I was, we stayed there the mm-hmm. whole time. Mm-hmm. And then some of them was like, y'all really, y'all better stop that because past over here. <laughs> but I was like, no, you know what it is. And then somebody was like, you know what? He really loved his community. Mm. As they say, they say, you know, he really loved his community. Mm. And um, it just was like, from that, so they, they've seen me grow up mm-hmm. to some degree. On this episode of Around the Block, I get the opportunity to talk with one of my favorite pastors and people, Jeremy McLean. Jeremy was one of the founding elders of Anacostia River Church and one of the godliest men I know. Uh, We wouldn't be a church without him. Two years into Anacostia River Church's life as a church plant, we had the happy privilege of sending Jeremy and a group of members to plant a new church called Mercy of Christ. Jeremy serves in the Deanwood and Lincoln Heights uh, neighborhoods of Northeast D.C., where he lives with his family. His interest, though, into that community predates the church plant by about a decade. So he's been committed to a long, slow, patient gospel work on the block uh, for some time. Now, one question we have to answer if we are church planters or pastors coming to a new call is this. How will we enter the community? How will we get established there as an acceptable part of the community? Now, no one has taught me more about entering and loving a community than Jeremy. In this episode, we talk about what it means to enter a neighborhood and become what he calls an acceptable outsider. And for Jeremy, an acceptable outsider uh, is thought of as as loving and befriending the neighborhood until the neighborhood not only welcomes you, but loves and cares for you in return. Becoming acceptable outsiders is vital for planting and growing the kinds of churches we dream about in the Creek Collective. So pull up and enjoy the conversation with us. Jeremy, brother, thank you so much for agreeing to talk with us, man, uh, on the podcast and to think a little bit about the context you're in and ministry in that context and advancing the gospel. My honor. Yeah. Jumping right in, brother. Um, Tell us about your neighborhood. Where where are you serving and what's it like there? Yeah, so I'm in Washington, D.C. D.C. is made up of eight wards. Uh, Wards six, seven, eight are more predominantly African-American. Wards seven and eight are more low income. We're in ward seven. Um, the the average income of the African American uh, household is about forty. Uh, the the one of the, the average of the non African American is upwards about ninety yeah. or so. Yeah, uh, so it's low income, and then you also have a, a number of social ills with kind of high violence. Um, drug use and other things. And um, there's also rich history where I'm at. And so Nanny Helen Burroughs um, is a uh, woman abolitionist. Mm. Um, she was not allowed to start a school over in the other part of D.C. 
So uh, during that time, she started Nanny Helen Burroughs School, a Baptist. It was it was for Christian women. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also Marvin Gaye, who grew up in that particular area. Mm-hmm. And so in the first theater for African-Americans was also right in our neighborhood in Lincoln Heights, D.C. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of rich history over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful neighborhood to be a part of. That's what's up. I didn't know the theater bit. Yeah, I knew Marvin Gaye and Nanny Helen Burroughs, and she was she was tough, man. Yeah. She was tough. Uh, yeah. So knew that history, and and this section of sister. So you bragging on Ward Seven? I got you know Ward Eight. <laughs> you know, we got to talk about Frederick Douglass yeah. and all of them. So this section of the city east of the Anacostia River is really rich um, in terms of the legacy of of African Americans and things of that sort Absolutely. in the city, and and that sort of brings me to a question. Then so talk with. Talk with us about your neighborhood beneath the stats, right? So it's easy to, to talk about our neighborhoods in terms of what comes to mind for most people when you think about the struggles, mm-hmm. right? The poverty or the crime, things of that sort. But that ain't everywhere. That ain't all, yeah. right? So talk with me about other sort of beautiful things yeah. that you encounter and see in our neighborhoods. Yeah. So in... Uh my neighborhood where I'm in, Lincoln Heights, I mean, it was very, got lo- strong loyalty. And so there are families pretty much, it seems like everybody knows each other, mm-hmm. grew up with each other or connected with the, each other in some particular way. And um, and those roots go deep and those mm-hmm. bonds grow deep and, and they've been through a lot together. And so there is some degree of loyalty that they have with one another. Um, and then there's just resilience. I mean, they have gone through um, yeah, many tough situations, and uh, many of them are still kind of pressing forward, trying to trying to reach many of their goals, trying to have a better life for their children than many of them may have had. Um, and so I just see resilience, I see loyalty, perseverance, um, and just trying to make the best use of the resources that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you find that many of our neighbors are more resilient, are tougher? than many of the Christians who claim to be trying to reach them. <laughs> right? I mean, I know part of that is is just bad adjusting to bad situations, right? Yeah. I, I got to live through this, right? Yeah. But when I when I talk with, I wonder if this is your experience, when I talk to a lot of Christians and they're like, where you at? I tell them where they at. If they know our context, right? A lot of Christians who aren't in the context are like, oh, it's, you know, it's rough over there. Yeah, it's right. tough. They start, they start fainting. <laughs> Right, just having a conversation <laughs> at Starbucks, yeah, right? Yeah, and and yet the folks who are our neighbors, you, again, you talk about the resilience, the perseverance, um, the ability to cope with lots of demands, yeah, um, lots of struggles, um, strike me, feel to me, to be tougher than many Christians who are going to heaven. Yeah, yeah, it, def- it definitely seems like um, out of necessity a a resilient character um, just has been formed within them. It's like, yo, we just we do what we have to do. That's right. Um, That's right. So if I have to walk to the store mm-hmm. uh, at this hour of the night, if I have to catch this metro mm-hmm. or this bus that nobody typically would want to get on this to get to my job, then that's just mm-hmm. what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids, they they have to play outside. I'm going to be outside with them in mm-hmm. this particular neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, they, they've learned um, and and and, and, I, and by necessity and in other ways, just strength, yeah, yeah, Amen. courage, amen. Yeah, it, it it exposes the 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 false parts of some of the stereotypes. You just got folks looking for handouts, or you got folks mm-hmm. who are never do well or don't. It's like, nah, folks taking three buses, 
to get to a low paying job yeah. and they're going to take three more to get to a second low paying job yeah. doing what they got to do to make ends meet, Absolutely. you know, um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of resilience in that and often a lot of dignity in it, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, in terms of how people view how you got to get on with life. Mm-hmm. And that. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit then about how you came into this community. How'd you wind up in Lincoln Heights and Deanwood? Yeah. So, um, so there's a public housing community called uh, Lincoln Heights, so Lincoln Heights neighborhood, but then there's a public housing community uh, called by DCHA called Lincoln Heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is an organization that I started volunteering for called Daybreak Ministries. Mm-hmm. And they were doing mentoring after school program and Christian outreach to the community. And so I just wanted to be a part of something in a low uh, income area that was predominantly African-American. Um, and so I was looking for a place to volunteer. They had a place open uh, to volunteer. I asked you all just hand out, do handouts. Did you also preach the gospel? They said, we do both. I said, I'm going with you. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I started volunteering and became an intern. And that's kind of how I came to know uh, most of the families and most of the the children um, and some of the community leaders uh, in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so I I got there in about 2009 and has and I have been there for the most part since. Praise God. You, you're still leading that yeah. that organization. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the ministry of your church now. Yes. Now, remind me, I should know this because I was there, but remind me when you guys planted Mercy of Christ. So we planted Mercy of Christ two years after you all planted. Okay, so 2017. Yeah, 2017, 2018, yeah. Excellent. Praise God, it's five years this year. Right, seriously. That went fast, brother. It really did. That went fast. Yes, 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 yes. So then you were you were in a neighborhood doing the after-school ministry, volunteering, then staffed, and taking over the leadership of it, kind of eight years before you launched yes. the, the church plant. And that, that gave you some rootedness in the community. Absolutely. So at one point in that eight years, did you become, and I learned this phrase from you, but what at one point in those eight years, did you become an, an acceptable outsider? Because you're from Cleveland. I know, right? Mistake by the lake. <laughs> Le- mistake. Le- hey, yo, watch your mouth. <laughs> watch your mouth. LeBron fan. You, know, you, you go down all that Cleveland gear, right? So, uh-huh. no, at what point, yeah, did you become an acceptable outsider to the community? Um, yeah, and I got that phrase from somebody else. Uh, and, they, and they're thinking about missions, and, uh, and they're overseas. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? That is something that's... I should be kind of going for trying to be an acceptable outsider because I just realized like they've had so many different experiences, um, a lot of tight family bonds and such and such. And like I, I'll never go through what they've gone through together, mm-hmm. and I won't know them on a, a particular level, mm-hmm. a deep, deep level. Uh, initially, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Uh, I don't have the history there, and so, but I said, but I can be an acceptable outsider. Mm-hmm. And so basically, I mean, I don't know when it clicked, but I mean, I, I was just on the basketball court at all times of night. Mm. And they would be like, yo, why why are you over here this late? <laughs> <laughs> it's after hours. Yeah, it's, it's after you, hours. You clocked out right now. Why are you still over here? volunteer. <laughs> right, right, right. Or when they'll, uh, it will be some some parties going on mm-hmm. in the neighborhood and they'll have food. Mm-hmm. And I'll just go walk up and go to the, I wouldn't party with yeah. them, but I, I'll be around and mm-hmm. I'll make sure I eat some of the food. Mm-hmm. Or, or I go into their houses and I'm sitting down with them and, mm-hmm. and so those things may not be how my house would be, 
uh, I do my best to make it feel myself appear comfortable and mm-hmm. be comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, and I just remember at one point, somebody had a uh, birthday shower and they asked for me and my wife and kids to go. And it was it was at the baby shower where, you know, it was some stuff going on that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily partake in. Um, but I was, we stayed there the mm-hmm. whole time. Mm-hmm. And then... Some of them was like, y'all really, y'all better stop that because past over here. <laughs> but I was like, no, you know what it is. And then somebody was like, you know what? He really loved his community. Mm. As they say, they say, you know, he really loved his community. Mm. And um, it just was like, from that, so they, they've seen me grow up mm-hmm. to some degree. Because you're a young man just out of college when you started Young, just out of college. Yeah, yep. so they've seen me get married. They've come to my wedding. Mm-hmm. Some of them come to my wedding. I've I've been at their baby showers. I've seen their kids grow up. They see my flaws. So they know Mrs. Jeremy got a horrible memory. <laughs> and I lose everything. Right, I lose everything. And so they know that I accept them. And they've come to accept you know, mm. me, and then we accept one another. And they also know where I stand on certain things as well. Mm-hmm. But even though I stand on certain places on um, with certain convictions, I still am around there. You know what I'm saying? And 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 I try, and I do my best for it not to not to phase me. Amen. You know Amen. Amen. So, so in that sort of notion of acceptable outsider, I'm, I'm hearing a number of things. And the first part of what you said, I think is particularly important, and I wouldn't want people to miss when you talk about basically you're in the park after hours, you, you're rolling up crashing cookouts, mm-hmm. you, you're sitting in homes, mm-hmm. um, places often that outsiders don't even get to come into. Right. But you're there also doing two things, being comfortable yourself mm-hmm. and accepting them. Right. That, that, that in some ways is the pathway to you're being acceptable yeah. in that way. Yeah, and yeah. so kind of, in, in that sense, living on their terms. Living and, on their terms, yeah, yeah. And those becoming your terms. Those yeah. becoming part of your life. Exactly. Becoming all things to all people. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I try to make sure, I, and even by the way I live, I just try to make it clear, like, yeah, I am an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I am trying to uh, also serve in so many other ways uh, with education and, and other outreach. But um, I'm not, I don't. I'm not coming here as a service provider. Mm, amen. And I'm more. I'm, I want to appear and make myself more than a service provider. So, so, so pull out that distinction because you're sitting in a in a baby shower, and someone says he really loves the community. Is that the first time you realize you love the community? No. So you knew you you had sort of fallen in love with the community prior to then, but now the yeah. community is seeing that, mm-hmm. and you're seeing that as something different than being a service provider, right? So unpack that. What's the difference in in your mind? Yeah, because I agree. I, I think they're miles apart. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, so the service provider, um, their relationship is only based upon the goods they provide, mm. and whether upon the other person receives the goods or not. Mm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, the so that's what a service provider is, uh, and they 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 care about the person, mm-hmm. but they more care about the particular result mm-hmm. or task they're trying to complete. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, whereas the person who is trying to be more than a service provider, but a friend, mm-hmm. um, just a, just sticks close mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just cares about them. Mm-hmm. So even yesterday, uh, uh, last week, 
I had a, a I was having breakfast with with somebody from the community, and she was talking about her social worker, and she was thankful for a social worker, but she also had some complaints. And one of the complaints said, "My social worker, all she do is she just called me, asked me did I make my meetings, and once she and once she asked me to make my meetings, if I say yes, or no, she said that's it, and then she goes. She doesn't have a conversation with me about anything else. This is what she told me. Wow. Right while wow. I'm sitting in Denny's. Wow. Having a meal. Wow. Talking with one another, laughing with one another mm. at Denny's, mm. um, a, a, a place where many of them, many people go in the community. You know That's what right. I'm saying? Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, just trying to more so be a friend. I like that distinction Jeremy made between a service provider and a friend. I spent my early career being a social service provider. He's correct. The social service provider relationship is transactional. There's a client or consumer, and there's a professional or provider. What matters is what they're exchanging, not who they are with each other. Oftentimes, churches and church leaders can fall into a kind of easy-to-program, usually temporary, transactional arrangement with their neighborhoods. When that happens, we miss the slower, deeper, harder, but richer relational opportunities that we really want. But when friendship becomes a goal, we, we not only find ourselves caring for others, but being cared for as well. It becomes a two-way street of mutual belonging and care. Jeremy begins to spell that out for us uh, on how being in the neighborhood and meaningful relationships is not just something he's impacting, but he's being impacted by. And how in being impacted by the relationship, uh, more of Jesus is revealed to him. Listen in. What have you learned about yourself in that process of befriending the community, becoming an acceptable outsider? What's the Lord done in your own heart? Because again, I, I think the temptation would be to say, or if we wouldn't say this, to slip into thinking this at least, that I'm here to serve these folk, right? I'm here to bring something, the gospel, um, but I'm not necessarily here to get something. I'm here to change something, mm-hmm. the community, but I'm not necessarily here to be changed. And almost from the first day that we got into the community here, I feel like the Lord was changing me, right? So is that your experience too? If, if so, what's the Lord done in your heart in these, gosh, what, 13 years now of, of rooting in a place and loving a place and a people in that place? Yeah. I mean, he just really made me uh, just grow in my understanding and appreciation for the, the the priestly work of Christ mm. and um and becoming mm. like us mm. a sympathetic high priest Amen. um who who understands and who is compassionate and I have come to appreciate that more and also just want to come I just and I realize that that area of, of my life needs to grow more. Mm. Just, just knowing more of Christ, wanting to grow more of my, uh, being amongst the people, understanding, being compassionate, 
Um, and then also just I, I f- when I look at um, some of the people that I minister to, some of who which some of which are Christians, mm-hmm. and I, I look at them like like you you may not know as much as me theologically. I'm like, but what the Lord has brought you through mm. and mm. how God, you may not know the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, mm-hmm. but just know that the only reason you made it this far is because God's grace is pers- helps you persevere. Amen. You know what I'm saying? And so that has really just helped me to, to think like it's, it's, it's about walking with the Lord. Mm. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's not mm. necessarily about articulating systematic theology. Mm. Um, and some of these, some of the residents who who are Christians who have gone through much have been walking with the Lord mm. and he has been holding them. Amen. Amen. And so I'm just, this is glad to be able to be able to, you know, participate and Amen. learn from that. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah. And that encourages me. You know, if he, they're persevering, then the Lord's, by His right. grace, will help me to persevere Sorry. as well. Yeah. Why, why I'm tripping. Right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Tripping. Listen, right. well, have you had any bouts with fear? And so how have you dealt with fear? Because again, a number of people who would, in a romantic way, be like, I want to go across the street, cross, the, cross town, minister in that neighborhood. And their next thought is, you know, but, you know, report the news said there was gunshots over there last week, you know, and or whatever the case is. And then fear begins to attack faith, begins to erode faith. And so maybe you've been fearless this whole while. Maybe that's not been a temptation. But if you have, how have you dealt with that? I, um, I actually have grown more fearful since I've had children and uh, a wife. Uh, talk about it. Because before when it was just me... I was just like, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? What's the worst that could happen? And, you know, I ain't got much to lose anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then when I had a wife and kids, I was like, oh, wow, I have a lot to lose. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot to lose mm-hmm. if they lose daddy or daddy gets in an argument or whatever the case, right? Um, so I've become more fearful now than I was back then. Then, Um, but again, I just um, am just reminded of, you know, God is a shield Mm. and um, as a protector and he will not allow anything to happen that's not supposed to happen. Um, And so I'm just called to to be faithful. And, And I also think actually that particularly in our neighborhoods, in, in neighborhoods where you got to demonstrate some level of toughness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, to be fearless for the gospel is is, is commendable. Yeah, yeah. Folks you know respect it. They respect Folks that. respect yeah, it. Yeah, 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 big time. Even if they don't respect what you're talking about. That's right. Ain't got to agree with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Because I had a couple Pope when <laughs> I walked up to them while they were shooting dice, whatever the case, try to say the gospel. They weren't listening, you know what I'm saying? But one of them, like, that's cool, but respect though. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I was like, respect. respect. And then we just move on. Move yeah. on. Move yeah, on. Yeah. yeah, we've had cats be like, yeah, yeah, not right now, Doc. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. We right. about to get into something right, <laughs> right now. Seriously, I'll catch you on the other side, uh-huh. bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a lot of times, I, I think about it afterwards. I'm like, oh, that that kind of was foolish. Mm. <laughs> you mm. know what I'm saying? Mm. 
I probably wouldn't do that again. Uh, <laughs> like that day this fight broke out on the corner and evangelizing. You went over with your Bible. Y'all stop this. I know, right? <laughs> but fearless. Stop it. Fearless. And they stopped. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they did. Amazing grace. Yeah, you yeah, amazing yeah. grace. But no, there is there is something to be said about wisdom. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and picking your moments in uh-huh. that. It's interesting that to think about, um, and it makes complete sense that after marrying and having four beautiful children, fear has kind of grown rather than diminished. That that makes sense because you. You've got some investments and attachments now, that, yeah. uh, and some dependencies. Right, right, right. right. Uh, so that makes entire sense. Here's what I'm wondering: as I heard you talk about that, have you noticed any ways in which the community has, and the church has maybe shouldered that burden with you? Have you seen ways in which the community has uh, not only has your fear maybe gone up, but maybe their care of you has increased in light of? Your wife and kids. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, so I think at at this point, uh, and I've, I've had somebody from from the community uh, tell me, like my little my little mentee, well, mm-hmm. he's not little anymore, um, but he's like, just know, Mister Jeremy, that ain't nothing gonna happen to you around here. Mm-hmm. He said, like, mm-hmm. we got your back and we you straight, mm-hmm. you know. So he's he's told me that, and and a lot of times, even at um, at daybreak. Um, they'll like daybreak is pretty much now has become off limits as far as like any kind of craziness mm-hmm. and even and even myself and so I really feel protected by the community. They love my family. They love my kids. They they know us. Mm-hmm. They see us. It's all hellos and and stuff like that. Even when they see us out, uh, not at Lincoln Heights, mm-hmm. they come up and greet us and care for us. And so I feel that. And then also the church. I mean, so our church has really like misconduct. Uh, a couple of the older saints have moved into the community mm-hmm. and it's fearless. No, it's fearless. <laughs> fearless where she lives and she's yeah. always been walking the community and praying even before the church got here and her, sure. and her area is pretty difficult. We had two sisters from the community who are um, who are uh, who are white and live on a, in an all black neighborhood mm-hmm. on an all black street um, and yet they've been trying to engage their neighbors and, yeah. and they've had people break into their cars and yet they've stayed mm-hmm. um and so I draw strength from watching them uh, persevere um, and, and and to stick in there. I mean, we've had, um, yeah, uh, another one of our sisters live on the street where they they were they were shooting regularly, um, and she she was uh, she goes to the church and she's been a Christian for a while, and it was other Christians from another church living on that street, mm-hmm. and they all moved yeah. because of the violence, mm-hmm. and yet she said, "No, we need to start prayer walking." And so we started prayer walking with her in her neighborhood. Amen. So I mean, that helps me draw strength uh, from them and seeing how 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 God is strengthening them and kind of giving it, helping them to be steadfast and, mm-hmm. and abounding in the work of the Lord. So all of that, I, I think the Lord kind of just uses us all to kind of strengthen each other and, and encourage each other. And I mean, I, and I just want to make it clear, like there, yes, I do get fearful. I mean, sure. even when I even few years back when I didn't have kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I was definitely had times when I was was yeah. afraid. Yeah. Um, but the Lord just kind of reminded me of of the mission and just kind of keep pressing on. It. No, it's good. Yeah, man, we I, I think part of what I love about what you're saying is you you're helping us maybe realize again, we're not heroes, right? Yeah. And we only be superheroes and we're not trying to do this work. 
in that kind of with a cape on, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and that there are things that are fearful. I, yeah. I love it. First um, Peter three six five six somewhere in there. Uh, Peter's instructing wives in relating to their husbands, and he pulls on Sarah, right, yeah. and Abram, um, and he says something along the way in there. He says basically that they are Sarah's daughters; they put their hope in God. Mm-hmm. Do not give way to anything that is fearful, mm-hmm. right? And they don't cave in in fear yeah. to anything that's fearful. And the reason I love that phrase is the Bible is acknowledging that there are scary things, yeah. right? There are things that are fearful. We can feel that, know that, recognize that, but not give way to it. Put our hope in God, trust in God. Now here, you're talking about the folks remaining on the street. Uh, talk about two sisters who have been committed to that community even before the church plant, years before the church plant, who've prayed there and stayed there. Mm-hmm. There are fearful things happening, yeah. right? But they're not giving in to fear. They're not giving away to fear. And I think that's something important for Christians to hold fast to wherever we live and especially if we're coming into neglected and vulnerable neighborhoods um, for the sake of the gospel yeah. and also in Philippians he tells them he said to, he tells them uh, to, um, to not be fearful about anything but now. that's right this is a sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation that's right so even us uh, in the midst of fearful things Standing firm mm-hmm. is a sign. Amen. It's a testament. Amen. Um, to like, no, God is a savior. We trust that He's saved. And you can also receive that salvation. Amen. 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 May the Lord send more people into our neighborhoods and may more people be dedicated to becoming acceptable outsiders um, and all that that entails. Thanks for kicking it with us, man. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with my brother and fellow pastor and fellow Creek Collective board member, Jeremy McLean. He's such a wonderful example of humbly enduring fear and hardship in order to love others. I especially appreciated his insight as it relates to the priestly nature of this work. He talked about having to learn more about entering into the lives of others, just as Jesus entered into our lives to serve us. When so many pastors and church planters nowadays position themselves as visionaries, CEOs, life coaches, and all that, it seems like we need to recover the priestly aspects of our callings. It seems like it would be good for us to meditate at length on the truest of all acceptable outsiders, the one who set aside glory to inhabit our flesh in a hostile world in order to redeem us. May we set aside or press through fear, and may we set aside and press through vainglory in order to enter more fully into the lives of our neighborhoods with the hope of Jesus. May God give us grace to do that. <laughs>